Mother's Day. If you have a Bible, you can open up to John chapter 4. We'll be there in just a little bit. <clears throat> but my mom um, died at 88. She went home to be with the Lord about a year ago. So I'm thankful for all the moms. Um, but I need to make a disclaimer as we begin. First, I've never been a mom. <laughs> I've known plenty of moms. We, we uh, are happy for those of you who are expecting, those of you who have delivered, those with plenty of kids. Um, honestly, I don't know how you do what you do. I'm really not very good at all at what you do. I'm a terrible Mr. Mom. Secondly, um, we make an assumption in the church that the church is composed of nuclear families consisting of moms and dads and children. But if you look around you, you're going to find lots of second marriages, lots of blended families, lots of single moms. So if you're used to on a Mother's Day message, kind of hearing a message to nuclear moms, today I want to launch into what the Bible says, the Bible has to say to single moms through the lens of a person who may well have been a single mom in, in our series, Not Giving Up on You, because we're not. We're not going to ever give up on you. Um, I believe that all moms deserve honor, but single moms really need to be acknowledged today. A single mom has responsibilities that simply are very difficult. They get up very early in the morning, getting themselves up, getting themselves ready, getting their kids up, getting their kids ready, um, getting them to childcare, commuting to work, doing everything required at work, commuting home, and then kind of the day begins of making dinner and you know, cleaning the house and doing laundry and tucking the kids into bed. For that reason, many moms, single moms, feel chronically fatigued. They themselves are physically and emotionally exhausted. Single moms often feel they have no time for themselves because whether it's to go exercise at the gym or go have dinner with a friend, they simply just don't have the energy. So it's a difficult life. We love mothers here. And Alex spoke last week about being an intentional, deliberate father. But I want you moms to be intentional and deliberate moms. You moms need to know that you are disciples of Jesus Christ, deliberate, intentional followers of him, letting yourselves hear his calming voice, letting yourself feel the warmth and comfort of the Holy Spirit, giving yourself permission to bask and bathe in the love of God, asking God to give you wisdom and strength and courage to do what you have to do, and diving into the Word of God, receiving a word there, not only for yourself, but also to pass on to your children. Because the end game is that moms are disciples making little disciples around their house. I mean, you can be a disciple maker of your own children. So we, we return to John chapter 4 and a conversation Jesus had with a woman, and we find in chapter 4 and verse 4 that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Jesus was a man on assignment. He was on a mission, and his mission was to uh, find and save the lost. And there was a very lost woman living in Samaria. She had been abandoned, forsaken, and she was headed out to this, um, she was headed out to the well with her empty water pot. You could say that Jesus was waiting for her there. Do you know that Jesus is waiting to meet you in a place like this? 
that Jesus is waiting to meet you early in the morning when you open up the Word, that Jesus is waiting to meet you as you're making dinner, as you're partaking with your families, that Jesus is always waiting to meet us, and He's pursuing her. He has come to where she was. He's traveled a long distance to find her. And the question Jesus asked to her was, will you give me a drink? You see, Jesus is sharing in his humanity that he's thirsty. He's been walking all day through the blazing sun. He's come to this well outside of town with his thirst, to f- and this woman who is thirsty come to fill her water jar. She comes to the well empty, having come here many times before, having drunk water from this well many times. Jesus is deliberately, intentionally beginning a conversation with her. He asks her, will you give me a drink? Now, if she's a mom, most likely she's heard this from her children, will you give me a drink? Um, We have four kids, and one of the tactics they used in staying up a little later was, will you give me a drink? We just did a seminar this week, Debbie and I, on discipline, and one of the couples we did it with, Catania, said there was a time we posted to our children, we're off duty, you know, get your own drink. So the scripture here, you know, records that Jesus asked the question, will you give me a drink? And she said, um, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. Not only are you Jewish and I'm and a Jewish man, but I'm Samaritan and a Jewish and a Samaritan woman. She was acknowledging that they were different racially and ethnically and with gender. And she asked the question, how can you, give, how can you ask me for a drink? I believe from this we get that she's pretty feisty. Uh, this woman has an attitude. She's a little bit combative and confrontational, argumentative. Now, the Scripture is silent on this subject, but it's possible that this Samaritan woman had children. Having children... And as a single mom, she would have had many requests made of her. So it's true that she had been asked for drinks of water, and now Jesus is asking her for a drink of water. Thinking about single moms, you know, they can also become argumentative and angry, angry about the non-involvement of their ex, angry about the extra load they have to carry, extra angry about the failure of their ex to pay alimony, child support, support, angry about running everywhere with the kids, angry about having to work extra hours, coming home with all the chores and responsibility. So if we're talking about single moms, this single mom didn't really hide her attitude. (laughs) And Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and you knew who it is who's speaking to you, then you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. If you knew the gift of God, if you knew how generous God is, if you knew the gift he has to give you, if you only knew who I am, the person who's speaking to to you, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. There is a fountain that never runs dry. There is a river that is always flowing. There is a stream that comes from the throne of God. It's the supply of living water. Jesus is saying that he has a gift for all people to give. Now, some of you may have come today because your mom asked you to come or your wife asked you to come. 
Sometimes on Mother's Day, there's some healed prints outside of people being drug in. <laughs> but I want to tell you that God has a greater gift for you to give to you. You see, living water is life-giving water. Living water is water that's alive. Living water is the spirit that is moving. Living water is something that God gives to us that flows out of our soul. You see, people come to the well, and they knew the water of the well was stagnant and stale. There was no movement to the water of the well. There was no life in the water of the well. You could say the water of the well was dead. You could say that there's some deadness inside my own soul, that I've been carrying deadness inside of me. You see, Jesus was talking about water that's alive. Jesus knew her soul was parched, and Jesus knows that your soul is also parched. And Jesus wanted to give her something that would make her come alive. And this is where the feistiness part comes in. She said, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the wet water, the well is deep. I mean, you don't even have a bucket or a rope. How are you going to get yourself this living water? You ever met somebody who promised you something overpromised and underdelivered? Jesus is here making a promise. I have the ability to give you living water. But she's wondering how you're going to get that living water. She's calling into question his capacity to deliver the promise. We've all met somebody who made a promise to us who did not deliver upon her promise, his promise. When I first came here, the church had a sign that said, church coming soon. The sign had been up three years. I said, either we're going to deliver the promise or we're going to take down the sign. The sign had all kinds of weeds growing up around it. And I said, people driving by here will say, soon means soon. And they've been waiting long enough, so either we're going to deliver the promise or we're going to take down the sign. Jesus is identifying himself to her and saying he has the capacity to breathe life into her. She had met many men before who had not kept their promises. But here was one who would. You see, every man that came into her life had wanted something from her. But here was Jesus who wanted something for her. Everybody else wanted her to do something for him, but Jesus wanted to do something for her. I was talking with Debbie this week with a girl who was 24 years old, bright, funny, pretty. She had moved in with her boyfriend at 18, and they didn't have any children together. They were going to build a life together. They were going to build a business together. He was older. She was right out of high school. And then we were talking to her when they had broken up and they had called it quits. She had moved out of her residence with him, and she had moved back home. 24 years old, but five years with this guy under her belt. And do you know what she wanted to do? What do you think she wanted to do? She wanted to find somebody else. She wanted to go back to the old well. She wanted to take her water pot to the well and try and fill it up one more time. You see, what happens is we have an empty water pot, and we take that water pot to the well, and we try to fill that water pot 
with the water from the well. But the water from that well does not satisfy our souls. It never fulfills the deepest part of us. And so we find ourselves dissatisfied and disillusioned and angry. I mean, do you believe that experience makes you wiser? Do you believe that experience makes you wiser? You would think that because I lived with a guy five years and it went nowhere, um, because of that experience, I'm wiser. I'm, I'm not getting back into that same situation. I, um, I've learned my lesson. I was foolish then. I was young then. I was in love then. Do you believe that experience makes you wiser? No, I believe that experience evaluated makes you wiser. To say that experience makes you wiser is a false statement. I find some people make, making the same mistake over and over and over again, picking the wrong guy over and over and over again. And what's in common with making the same mistake over and over again? Well, you're picking the wrong guy over and over again. Haven't you learned your lesson? Haven't you grown from that experience? Haven't you developed a little discernment? Haven't you begun to ask the right questions? You see, here was a woman at the well who had come to this well so many times, but had never been satisfied. And Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. She had been to this well many times. Many times she had taken her empty jar. She had filled her jar up many times. But she was now beginning to awaken to her sense of thirst. She could not get satisfied from this well. She knew the history of the well. She knew her own personal history. But she was not capable of satisfying her own thirst by living her life independently of God. You see, when we come to the end of ourselves, we find the beginning of God. Augustine said we are restless and we will not find our rest until we find our rest in God. Here is a woman who was restless and unsatisfied and discontent. And she was thinking that if I just make everybody else happy, I will be happy. Now, there's another myth, and that is if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. So on Mother's Day, we're going to make mama happy. We're going to do everything we can to make our mama happy. Let me tell you something about making mama happy. Mama's got to decide she's going to be happy. If mama ain't decided she's going to be happy, we may temporarily do a little fix, but mama still ain't happy. She's unhappy. And this woman was quite unhappy. The men who had rolled into her life certainly had made her happy. Now, Jesus didn't come to lecture her, and I haven't come to lecture you either. Jesus didn't come to debate her, and I haven't come to debate with you. And Jesus surely didn't come to judge her or condemn her. Jesus came to the well to heal her, to restore her. And Jesus still heals broken lives and broken marriages and broken relationships. But here's the thing. You've got to bring your heart to Jesus. No matter how broken your life your heart is, because then and only then can Jesus heal the brokenhearted. 
He is near unto the brokenhearted. If you've heard hurtful words over a long period of time, it may be that you're walking in bitterness and walking in unforgiveness. The pathway of the kingdom is to walk the path of forgiveness. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26 says this, In your anger, do not sin, and do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. I want to say to you, moms, if you're angry, go ahead and be angry. Angry, Anger is normal, and anger is natural. Anger in and of itself is not sinful. We get angry at injustice, don't we? When people get used and misused and abused, when promises are made and they're not being kept. I mean, if you want to evoke anger in me, let's talk about these children in Haiti who are sold into slavery. Let's talk about 12-year-old girls who are seduced into sexual trafficking. This stuff just makes me angry and motivates me to do what we're doing down there. When child support is owed and not paid, when we're forced to go back to work or take on a second job. But it's very possible undealt with anger can become sinful. You see, Jesus said, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. Now, that's a good word for marriage, right? You should not murder. But I say, <laughs> I say to you, be careful about your anger. Now, was Jesus some kind of hypocrite? I mean, because Jesus himself got angry. He got angry at the temple and cleaned it out. There was a man with a withered hand, and the Pharisees were there, and Jesus healed him, and he became angry at those Pharisees. So Jesus himself felt anger at unrighteousness. So what's he talking about here, this anger? He's talking about stored-up anger. He's talking about anger that is carried. He's talking about resentments that are formed. He's talking about bitterness that is deeply rooted. You know, today's anger is not going to set you off, but it's the anger you've stored up over the weeks and months and years that now explodes forth. And you can't justify yourself, your anger, because of what someone else has done. That's a very important statement. You can't justify your anger based on what someone else has done or said or not done or not said. Someone said to me recently, Pastor R, I cussed at him. I said, why did you cuss? She said, because he made me so mad. You see, you can't justify doing what you're doing, holding on to anger because of what someone else has done or said. You've heard the expression, you know, love the sinner but hate the sin. Let's turn that around and say, let's love the sinner and hate my sin. Do you realize that when you hold on to anger, when you're carrying anger, you are you're in a very vulnerable position. How do couples go from saying I do to saying I'm through? How do they stand before me, a minister, and make a vow saying I'll love you forever? and then stand before a judge and say, I'm done with this. The answer is anger. Unresolved issues, unresolved conflict, moving into silence and distance. You see, anger creates a pattern in your life, 
and passes on iniquity to your children. Judith Walderstein, she wrote a book entitled The Unexpected Legacy of Divorce. She says in the book that anger is passed on generation to generation. You need to help your children, whether they're little children or grown, understand conflict. Children of divorce, much more than children coming not out of divorced families, experience anxiety in the midst of conflict because they haven't seen conflict handled well. They have a greater tendency toward divorce or an avoidance of getting married. Now, I told you that when I was a little kid, the way I knew people were angry with me was they became quiet, silent, or they stormed out of the room. And then there was the pattern of Debbie's family. When they had conflict, they dealt with conflict. I mean, they went at each other pretty hard, and then they hugged each other, and then they had cherry pie. And I'm not kidding, they had cherry pie. So let me ask you a question on this Mother's Day. What was the pattern of your parents, or what is the pattern of your parents? Did they deal with anger well? Did they admit that they were angry? Did they work through their issues? Did they come to peace with one another? Did they ever ask the question, where is this anger that I'm feeling coming from? What if this morning you asked Jesus to help you with your anger? I believe that he has the power to help you. You see, when we take offense and we carry anger, we allow the devil to get a foothold in our life. You see, if you've had the habit of rehearsing over and over again the wrong suffered under you, there's going to be anger built up inside your soul. And when you go to bed angry, you're giving the devil a foothold. And I don't want you giving the devil any ground. You say, Pastor R, what is a foothold? Well, I'm glad you asked. You ever met a salesman at the door, a salesman comes to the door, and the salesman rings the doorbell, and you open the door to the salesman? You know, most salesmen are very happy you open the door because they understand if they can break the threshold of your house, they can get inside your house and occupy for a time and sell you what they have. You see, and when we hold on to anger, we're giving to the devil a foothold, and he begins to occupy the inner space in our hearts. Now, if you are married, I'll bet you have gone to bed angry, haven't you? If you're a single mom, I know you've gone to bed angry, right? Or you wake up angry, or <laughs> you say, like, I am so angry, now, I'm not saying being a single mom is easy or raising kids by yourself is easy. I'm saying it's very difficult. But I am saying you've got to get that anger out of your life. The Bible says to get rid of the bitterness, to get rid of the anger, to get rid of the wrath, to get that stuff out of your soul. So I'm going to now testify. Some of you may think that Debbie and I have this perfect marriage. We do not. So there's one time we were having this heated debate. Let's call it an argument. And I really didn't want to humble myself and say I was wrong. And it was a very cold night. And Debbie had somehow gotten all the sheets and covers on her side. And normally I fall asleep in the first 30 seconds. But this night I was awake for an hour or two hours. 
but I didn't have the humility to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I spent the whole night shivering in the coldness and the darkness of that room, running back and forth through my mind this discussion we had had. You see, you can stay cold a long time. You can create distance in your relationship by staying angry. You can become toxic in your soul or acidic in your soul because you've so rehearsed the anger that's in your soul, and God wants you to release it. I'm going to ask you this morning, I'm going to ask you, whenever you begin to change a habit, you've got to let go of the former habit and embrace a new habit. I'm going to ask you this morning to form a brand new habit on Mother's Day. I'm going to ask you not to go to bed angry. angry. You say, Pastor R., you don't have the slightest clue about what it means to be angry. That's where you're wrong, okay? I grew up angry. I went to a school where there were fights, and I walked around the halls with a scowl on my face. Don't mess with me, because I'm angry. You see, and I've, over the years, God has dealt with the anger inside my soul. So let me ask you this question. What are you angry about? Who are you angry with? You see, God began to transform my life. And what does not get transformed gets transmitted. You moms have the capacity to transmit to your children anger because there's an anger deep in your soul. But you could become the first generation that's free, not passing on the anger to the next generation. You know, blessing is passed on to a thousand generations, but iniquity to the third and fourth generation. What I'm saying is we're making a declaration of freedom, that we will be the first generation that's free, and we will not pass on this iniquity to our children. Our children will grow up with freedom. We grew up in captivity, but we will, grow, we will give freedom to our children. You see, we don't want to pass on what was passed on to us. We don't want to pass on the iniquity. We don't want to pass on the anger. So what is the remedy? What's the solution? Jesus said, whoever drinks this water, now listen to me, you may have been drinking contaminated, polluted water. But when you drink the water Jesus gives, it cleanses us, it purifies us, it heals us. It's a water that he wants to give to us that begins to flow through our soul. You know, at my house, there is this unlimited supply of water. There's this reservoir deep beneath the earth. And the water is drawn up from the reservoir and it's pumped to my house. It comes in at 20 pounds per square inch. And you know, there's this reservoir that God has that gets pumped into our soul that begins to flow through us. And Jesus said, the water I give will become like a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Debbie and I take these walks and out, there's a specific place in our neighborhood and there's this well, and the well is always welling up. There's always sort of this flow of water from the well. And Jesus is saying, 
I want to become a new well inside of you, a well springing up to eternal life. I want to spring forth. I want to burst forth in your life. And at this point, the woman says, give me this water so I won't have to come here and draw. She's like so ready. And you might be ready also. It's like, you know, give me this living water. And Jesus said first, go and call your husband. Now, why does Jesus have to deal with that? Why can't we just kind of gloss over her past and just kind of move on to the living water part? Some have called this the um, big elephant in the church. She's living with a guy. She's not married. <clears throat> They're kind of roommates with one another. She's had five guys. I thought about that all week, like the five guys, you know, hamburger place. She's had five guys, like five guys. They've had kids together. They've had fights together. Now there's five guys, and now there's a sixth guy in her life, and they're not married. They're living together. And Jesus, she says, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you're right. You've had five husbands, and the one you're living with isn't your husband. And she says to him, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Now, most believe that what's happening here is that she's changing the conversation. Let's kind of move off that one and talk about something else for a while. But I believe that Jesus is putting his finger on the issue that needs to be addressed in her life. He knows what's going on. Now, I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. I just work for a nonprofit. <laughs> but I'll say, little joke, but I'll say this to you. I don't know your history, okay? God does. I don't know what you're wrestling with, but God does. And Jesus identified exactly what she needed to deal with in her life, her messy past, if you will. And she says, you know, I know someday the Messiah is coming. And Jesus said, I am, the one who's speaking to you is he. I am he. Let me ask you a question. Do you want this living water to flow into your soul? Sometimes I think of myself being like a pipe and the pipe kind of gets clogged up, and something has to be moved out of that pipe, that clog, in order for the living water to flow. The living water is like joy. It's like joy in the midst of the most difficult circumstance. It's like hope in the most hopeless situation. It's like feeling love when you feel so unloved. You see, the living water is the very presence of God flowing through your life. But the living water can't flow as long as there's anger in your soul. As long as you've given to the devil a foothold. As long as you've let the sun go down upon your anger. So what Jesus really wants to do this morning is let the water flow. And you become a tree planted beside that stream of living water that produces fruit in its season and does not wither. Pray with me, would you please? So, Father, this morning, <clears throat> we've um, experienced mama mania, but we feel deep down in our soul, we want to experience some mama sania. We've done the same thing over and over and over again, gone back to that same well, drinking its stale and stagnant, polluted, contaminated water. But there's a deeper desire, a deeper thirst and the thirst, God, is for you to supply us with living water. 
the water that refreshes and cleanses and purifies, to take all the ugly stuff out of us and make something really beautiful inside. The work you've begun in us to bring it to completion. So if you'd like some of that living water, would you just lift up your hand? No one's looking. You can be a believer and be asking because it gets clogged in me too. There's many of you. Father, for these ones who are craving and thirsting a taste of you, to know that you are good, to taste and see that, Lord, you are good, I pray, Lord, for your goodness to flow into them. I pray, Lord, for you to dislodge all that is stuck inside of them, all the anger that is built up, and to move it out and replace it with peace. I'm asking God for a great miracle to transform this day. I'm asking for the healing of our inner souls. I'm asking you, Jesus, to come near as we draw near to you, to come into our hearts and to cleanse us and purify us and refresh us. Jesus, give us this living water, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.